welcome to MonarchCast. This week we're talking more about the British throne, <laughs> yeah. but we're going way, way back in time. I'm Allie. I'm Claire. And yes, Claire is right. Today we are talking about the time all the way back around just after the Norman Conquest, which we haven't talked about yet. No, but it's basically the beginning of the British crown as we mm. may know it. Right. Yes. And the counties and all of that. Yeah. Did we have any gossip or royal oops from last time? So I have one royal oops that I noticed. Um, I don't think this was a big deal, but when I was talking about Henry Stewart, Lord Darnley last week, I said that he had a really good claim to the British throne, not only through his mother, Margaret Douglas, who was descended from, well, her mother was Margaret Tudor, but I said also his father's family was connected to the Hamiltons, and I kind of garbled that, and what I meant to say was his connection to the throne was that he was a Stuart, just like Mary Stuart, Mary Queen of Scots, and the Hamilton piece of it comes through his great-great-grandmother, I think it was, was related to the Hamilton family, who was a long and ennobled branch of a Scottish family that had a lot going on, but they never sat on the throne. So when I said that, I was kind of like, uh, I listened to it and I said, that's that's not what I meant to say. So sorry about that. His, his strong claim really came from the fact that he was a steward on his father's side and on his mother's side descended from Henry VII. So I hope that clears it up. If anybody out there cringed, just know I was right there with you. And we don't have any gossip because I, I don't think we need to continue no, this story. No, I decided we weren't going to continue all of this weirdness coming out of Kensington Palace for the third week in a row. And the only other thing that I saw was interesting going on was they just did the Nobel Prize ceremonies, which is always really exciting in Sweden because they all show up in big ball gowns and tiaras. Oh. But that's not really gossip. That's just kind of like... Well, they did release their Christmas cards. Yeah, but it's not, again, that's not really gossip. So no, but, no gossip this no. week, but I think our episode's going to be kind of long, so we might want to save yeah. the airtime. Um, but speaking of Scots, actually, we're talking about another woman descended from Scots, as oh, well as exciting. some other noble lineage as well. And we're talking today about Empress Matilda. And so the theme of this series that we've been doing is English Queens, and I also call it Wannabes. And she's probably a wannabe, but she's probably the wannabe that came closest to the throne, or at least had a legitimate right and decided to fight for it. I think she's really fascinating. Sometimes she's called Empress Maud, and I think that that's probably German. I did not confirm that, but if I had to guess, it could be French. I don't know. We'll have to look that up. Maybe that'll be our oops for next time. Yeah. Already we're five minutes and we have an oops. And she also was titled Lady of the English. And why was that? Because they didn't want to call her queen. Oh. But yeah. we are talking about Empress Matilda. Yes. And we'll talk about why she was known as Empress Matilda if it had nothing to do with her queenship of England. Wait, you mean this isn't the beginnings of the British Empire? Uh, no. <laughs> it's, a, it's a familiar empire you might have heard of. We'll get there. Um, so we are actually, like Claire said, talking about a time way before we've talked about previously. In fact, 400 years before Edward VI was mulling over his own succession concerns and where he had a multitude of female cousins to choose from 400 years before that, it wasn't quite as simple. So that puts all of this about 800 years ago? Yes, we're talking 1153 roughly. Ooh. 
a little bit, actually a little bit before that, about a 20 year period before that. Oh, so like yeah. almost nine years ago. No, eight years ago. 100? 800? 800. No. <laughs> yes, yes. Eight years ago. Eight years ago <laughs> when Empress Matilda was yeah. sailing the sea. Um, so again, we talked about how when Edward was mulling his own succession, England basically by default was going to have a female ruler for the first time. But going back 400 years, England is facing this question of female rule for the very first time. And ultimately, 400 years then, before then, the answer was very different. Can a female rule? Spoiler alert, they didn't think so. But the issue at the time was so fraught that it actually led to a civil war that raged for two decades. And I know we've mentioned the English Civil War with the Roundheads and Oliver Cromwell. And, and that's not this. And that's not this. So this is England's first civil war, or at least it's first post-Norman civil war. There might have been some Saxon civil wars that I'm not aware of. So they've had at least two yes. civil wars. Yes. And this one is called the Anarchy, not because there was no one in power, but because it was just so chaotic that okay. it's known as the Anarchy. Um, and it's all caused merely by a woman claiming that she could rule England. So, I mean, I can't really stress enough how much the men were against this. But again, her timing was helped by this era of unestablished succession. So she's the granddaughter of William the Conqueror. So the Normans have only been in power for a short time. There's not really a tradition of succession, of hereditary succession. Nobody really knows what the rules are supposed to be. And they're also not bound to the traditions of the Anglo-Saxons who had ruled before the conquest because all of their traditions kind of got scattered and thrown out the window when the Normans crossed the channel. Um, so it's because of this, because there's no like rule of succession, monarchs are pretty much required to be soldiers because you have to fight for your claim to the throne. So somebody dies and it's basically a free-for-all. It's basically you raise your hand and say, I have the best claim, and the way you prove that is you to be the last man standing. Yeah. Essentially, yes. So you would think as a woman at this time, she'd have little hope in this you know, quest for the crown, but also at the same time, because there's no established succession, there's also no formal obstacles in her way. So if she can overcome just this minor matter of her sex. an army mm -hmm. and her sex, then perhaps she can be queen. Um, like I said, spoiler alert, she didn't succeed. But she also didn't outright fail. And in fact, she passed her own claim to her son and set a precedent for female power to be wielded in a less direct way, which actually carried through the next 400 years. And this idea of women ruling through their male heirs or even their husbands, which we'll talk about in a few weeks as well. Um, and... This is kind of the way women ruled for a really long time until, again, with Edward, the just sheer lack of male candidates paved the way for a woman to sit on the throne. So we're going to pause for a family tree, as I think we've been doing, because again, like I said, we haven't really talked about the Norman conquest. And I'm not going to go beyond that, but in 1066, William I, William the Conqueror, crossed the channel from Normandy, which is a area of northern France, and decided he was going to press his claim to the English throne. And English history can actually be divided into pre-Norman conquest and post-Norman conquest, essentially. Um, and we're talking about the period right after this shift, so it's a little bit nuts. Everybody's trying to figure out what language do we speak? What are the rules? Are we going to follow the French traditions? Are we going to adopt some of these Saxon traditions? Nobody really knows. Um, and at this point, the Saxons were also heavily influenced by the Vikings. Well, they were Vikings. Okay. By this point, they're the Vikings. England at this point has been invaded and ruled okay. by conquerors before, but this is the new batch of conquerors coming from the south instead of the north. Gotcha. Yep. 
So he successfully makes the crossing in 1066, and he brings Norman culture and rule to Anglo-Saxon England. And so the establishment of this new royal dynasty is like a messy process. His own claim has obviously taken by force. He's fighting some English cousins for the privilege. And then this also sets a precedent that continues with his sons, because because he rules in Normandy and decides he also wants to rule in England, he's got his dukedom in Normandy, and he's got the English crown, and he's got a lot of sons. So does he just divide them all up? Yes. So his eldest son, now they've got some fun names. His eldest son is known as Robert Curtos, which is basically like fat legs. Interesting. Yes. And William Rufus, which he was called that because he had a very ruddy complexion. Okay. Um, So Robert gets Normandy. And William gets England. Which was the better prize? Well, that's the question. So Robert felt that perhaps it was England. And then, of course, William thinks Robert's an idiot and doesn't want him to have anything. But meanwhile, there's a third son, Henry, who's left landless. Okay. And Henry's like, that's not cool. So there's this shifting of allegiances as the three brothers like just try to decide who's going to get what. And ultimately, Robert is mostly sidelined and, in fact, imprisoned by William. And then William, who gets the ultimate crown of England and Normandy, dies childless in a hunting accident. Oops. In 1100, yep. And Henry seizes the throne. As you do. Of course. He's been watching his brothers get all the land and privilege this whole time, and he thinks, ha, I know how to make this mine. I fight for it. So Henry is Matilda's father. Okay. And I'm going to just, sorry guys, there is a plethora of Henry's and Matilda's and William's, so just bear with us. We're going to try to keep it straight. I am calling Henry V of the Holy Roman Empire Heinrich to try to differentiate him from Henry I, Henry II, all these Henrys. But right now we're talking about number one. Yes, Henry I of England, okay. Matilda's father. So he finally, um, you know, William's dead. He finally quells the descent from his his brother and he's... In his, he's imprisoned. I think I said, I think I just said that William imprisoned Robert. I think it was actually Henry. And then Henry marries another woman named Matilda. Oh, okay. But actually her name was Edith and she changed it to Matilda, which was the Norman version of her name because she's Scottish. Okay. She's the daughter of King Malcolm III of Scotland. And she's also a descendant of Alfred the Great. Okay. Who was a previous ruler of England. He was so, a Saxon king. Yes. So marrying her gives Henry much increased legitimacy. So they have two children, Matilda, who's born February 7th, 1102, and her brother William is born a year later. Now, Henry also had about 22 other illegitimate children. Woo! Yes. He's not wanting for children, but he's only got two that are legit. Mm. Um, And many of them he actually acknowledged and supported, but they're not in a position to inherit a crown. Right. Like Charles. Charles II. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these kings had no qualms about taking mistresses. I think there was one scholar who wrote about him that Henry really just loved um, mistresses for the joy of creating children, but not for any, like, carnal pleasure. I was like, no. You don't have 22 children if you don't, like, enjoy sex. (laughs) But then you have to take care of all the children, which he didn't seem to, it doesn't seem he did with all of them. He did it with a lot of them. I mean, he's a wealthy man. He's a Duke of Normandy, which comes with its own set of lands, and the King of England now. So he can take care of his kids. So unsurprisingly, as Matilda is the only legitimate daughter of the English King and the Duke of Normandy, she's highly sought after for marriage. 
So she was described as very beautiful, although chroniclers tended to like always say that about royalty at the time. Mm-hmm. So we don't really know what she looked like. And in fact, I think there's only one like wood carving of her and it's, let's just say it's not a true likeness to a real person. Okay. It's very cartoony. Okay. Maybe we'll put that on our episode. Um, so the winning suitor is Heinrich V, the king of the Romans, or AKA the Holy Roman Empire. Oh, that again. I told you there was an empire that we'd heard of. So the marriage is very attractive for both parties. Um, she's going to marry into one of Europe's most prestigious dynasties because even in you know 1102 at this point, the Holy Roman Empire is well established. And this is going to also help reaffirm her father's own questionable status because remember, he's the youngest son. He's got a brand new royal house. He's only the third member of this dynasty. So he's looking to submit his legacy as well. And marrying his daughter off to the Holy Roman Emperor is a great way to do this. Meanwhile, Henry V gets her dowry of 10,000 marks to fund his trip to Rome for his coronation. Oh, that's helpful. Right, because at the time, the Holy Roman Empire, while still an elected position, which I think we've talked about before, is still mostly hereditary, but your coronation is not a given, and you do have to pay for the privilege. So Matilda's going to help him do that. So in 1110, she leaves England for Germany, And in July, she's crowned Queen of the Romans in a ceremony at Mainz, Germany. Now, she's only eight years old. Wait, what? He's 24. Ew. They weren't officially married until four years later when she was 12. Wow, you just blindsided me with that. I thought thought, thought we were talking about maybe like a 15, 16-year-old. Nope. Eight years old. She's engaged and they're shipping her off. Wow. Now, a lot of that has to do with training. She's going to be an empress. Of and so they, they really need to like start her young. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. And get her out of the house. He's got 22 mouths to feed. Yeah. So like I said, becoming emperor isn't, especially an emperor anointed by the Pope, is no guarantee. And because of various political disputes with, you know, the other German princes and Heinrich squabbles with the Pope over religious administering of the empire, he was actually excommunicated shortly after their marriage. Whoops. Which is kind of a sticky situation for the Holy Roman Emperor. But but it doesn't matter because the Holy Roman Empire is not holy. Exactly. But you kind of want to have that blessing of the Pope. So in 1116, they travel to Italy, at which point the Pope flees because like Henry's Heinrich is coming with his army and the Pope is like, maybe I should get out of here. And so the pair just have themselves crowned in St. Peter's Basilica by a papal envoy. And after the coronation, Matilda always claims the title of Empress. And she actually chooses not to correct later accounts that said she had in fact been crowned by the Pope. Because why would you? Of course. You're an Empress crowned by the Pope. You don't want to correct the record. He was totally there. Exactly. It was Clementine. Yeah. This was actually, I believe it's Pascal, but it's with a C-S-C-H, so... Clementine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so shortly after this, Heinrich travels back to Germany in 1118 to put down more rebellions. He actually had a really tough time as It sounds HRE. like it. Yeah. But Matilda, who is, what, 16 at this point, 14, rules on her own for two years in Italy. So this time is likely when she came to see herself as a viable ruler, despite being female, because she is ruling in the name of her husband, but he leaves his young wife in charge. Right. No problem. Um, But the good times don't last. The couple are childless, which many people at the time blamed on Heinrich's supposed sins against the church, as you do. We talked about this in Henry VIII's episode. Um, And then in 1125, Heinrich actually dies of cancer. 
cancer. Yeah, so Matilda's 23 years old with very limited options because she is childless, so she can't stick around and act as imperial regent. So she has two options, as women did at this time. Can you guess what they are? I'm going to say one of them is go into a nunnery. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is go home. And? Die. Get married. <laughs> Close. <laughs> So some of the German princes in the empire actually offered marriage to her, but she viewed that as a bit of a step down from Empress. And she chose to return to Normandy. So she gave up her estates in the empire, and she left with only her personal jewel collection. Now, I like that everything I read said only, because let's list this off. Her imperial regalia, two of Heinrich's crowns, and the extremely valuable relic of the hand of St. James the Apostle, Gross. Which I believe was kind of a gesture to the Germans and the Pope. Like, I'm going to peace out now because I don't have any other options, but I'm going to take your very valuable saint's hand with me. Maybe posed in the form of a middle finger. Yeah. And yeah. that relic is still in England, I oh, believe. Oh, that's funny. Yep. So let's talk about what's happening meanwhile in England. Because Matilda has done what is supposed to be her destiny. She's the daughter of a king. She's gone off and married an emperor. She hasn't had any children, and he tragically died, but... Ultimately, she's fulfilled her destiny, right? Well, England's been seeing some tragic times as well. So Matilda's younger brother, who was called William Athling, in recognition that he had doubly royal heritage of both his father and this Alfred the Great lineage as well, um, is, of course, Henry's heir. And he's also his sole legitimate son, so he's successfully secured his place in the succession at this time. Now, he did have another contender for this Right, um, his cousin William Cleto, son of the imprisoned Robert uh, Fatlegs. Gotcha. Yeah, um, but they travel. He, William, and Henry traveled to Normandy secu- to secure a victory against his cousin, and so they're ready to return home in 1120. But it's November. It's late November, and they're in northern France, about to cross the Channel into England. It's cold. Hmm. And also, William is 17. Oh. And on the way home, he makes some poor decisions. So he takes a different ship than his father, with about 200 of his closest England Norman nobility friends, including some of his siblings. Booze crews. Booze crews. Yep. Gotcha. Everyone on board gets super drunk. Oh no, seriously, it was a booze cruise? Like, it wasn't supposed to be, but yes. <laughs> I, I thought you knew what was coming. No, no, I, I just said that's what I would do if I was 17. <laughs> yes. No, they like delay departing for two hours just to drink, I think they drank three casks of wine in, like, 30 minutes or something oh, insane wow. like that. Like, everybody gets super drunk, including the crew. Oh, so much that's so, going to end well. Right, so much so that William's cousin Stephen, the Count of Mortain, who's not drinking because he has a stomach complaint at the time, asks to be left off the ship because he's looking around and going, this might end poorly. Oof. And let's remember him for later because he might have had some good foresight. So the ship races out of the harbor into the night, No one sees the rock that they just smash full force headlong into. The ship sinks in minutes in the freezing water, and only one person survived. It was not the heir to Henry's throne. It was just a butcher on board. Oh, my gosh. So, and now let's keep in mind, Henry lost his heir, and he also lost several of his illegitimate children at the time, and 200 of the the nobles of Anglo-Norman, you know, France and England at the time also go down on the ship. It's called the White Ship Disaster, and it's actually a pretty big deal at the time. And he lost a ship. Yeah, and I think they waited like three days before they forced some poor kid to tell him that his son was dead. Because he didn't know, because he was on a ship ahead of them. Oh, boy. Yeah. 
So suddenly, Henry's without an heir, and the English succession that was so secure is now in doubt. And Henry tries to do what he can to save this, so he remarries two months later. His wife is long dead at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, But the match doesn't produce any children. So by 1125, it's pretty clear that the king's not going to have another legitimate son. And remember, there's this history of unstable Norman succession. So everybody's starting to think about how is this going to go. Like the rules of succession aren't certain. So there's no pool of legitimate heirs to like be identified and sorted out amongst themselves. So who's going to rule England after Henry dies? And Henry's not on death's door, but it's clear that he's not going to have a child. So considering that an illegitimate son is looked upon unfavorably, and his only daughter is unavailable and unconsidered as she's the wife. As she, well, she's female, but she's also off being the wife to the Holy Roman Empire. Who's going to take over? Well, Heinrich dies. So all of a sudden, Matilda can come home and she can be Henry's heir. Which is exactly what she does. She's out of options. She can't stay in Germany. And she doesn't want to go and be a nun. So she goes home. And Henry's out of other realistic options, so he suggests that she could rule in her own right as his heir. And, you know, Matilda's been ruling as an empress in the Holy Roman Emperor this Empire this whole time. She thinks, yeah, I could do that. She knows what she's doing. Yeah, she's not a problem with it. So, now, and this is all regardless of the fact that she's female and that they hadn't seen each other in 15 years. She's blood, so... How old is she at this point? 20 She's 23. Something? Okay. Yeah. So... So she's also kind of an old lady. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, she's well past her her prime. Um, So at Christmas in 1126, Henry, Henry, his daughter's back in town. He presents her to a gathering of nobles, and he makes them swear an oath to uphold her right to the throne, and, importantly, the right of any sons that she might yet have. Now, Henry's not going to have any sons, but this last, last part is important because Matilda can still have sons. So... No one is really considering the likelihood that she's going to rule, but rather that her male offspring could then gain the right through her. So likely the nobles who are swearing this oath are just paying lip service to the Mm -hmm. king and thinking of the latter scenario. And he also made them swear a subsequent one in 1131, but neither of these oaths are really popular. But they're thinking, hey, we'll make the king believe that we think this, and also probably not going to happen. She'll just have some boys and everything will work out the way it's supposed to. Exactly. So, in pursuit of this idea, Matilda is very quickly remarried off in 1128 to this man, Joffrey of Anjou. So, these are Norman lands. He's a count. Um, The choice is convenient for Henry because he needs to protect his southern Norman borders. Part of the problem of being both Duke of Normandy and King of England is you've got a lot of land to protect, and they're separated by this body of water. So, you, you need to kind of marry off people strategically, which is what he does. But Matilda is not pleased with the match because he's the son of a count, which she, again, we talked about she didn't want to marry a German prince. She considers marrying a count a humiliating step down from being empress. And besides, he's only 15 and she's 26. Oh, no. Yeah. Actually, when they first proposed the marriage, he was 13 and she was like 24, but she waited a couple years before she finally agreed, but I think she had reason. Ew. Yeah. Um, The couple didn't really like each other. Um, and her dowry had been this promise of various castles in Normandy, but Henry never really specified when the couple could take possession of them. Now, he's probably keeping Joffrey's status uncertain in this matter to strategically avoid the question of his future claim on England or Normandy, because what he doesn't want is for Joffrey to come in and say, I can be king of England because of my wife. Like William of Orange. Yes. 
and kind of William the Conqueror. <laughs> so this is there's precedent for this, and he doesn't want this to happen. Um, and so this also, I think, further supports the idea that Matilda is the sworn heir only to clear a path for her own future sons. Mm. Her husband shouldn't rule, but her sons are perfectly yeah. welcome Because her to dad's do so. not really doing anything to set her up for success. No. I mean, she doesn't like her husband. She leaves him and then has to return to him. But part of the issues that they're having is that her husband's deal in this bargain was supposed to be this Norman land, and he's got it in name, but he can't actually like, go and take possession of these castles. Hmm. So he's feeling a bit put out in the process. Um, she did, though, eventually bear three sons. So she oh, wow. had Henry in March 1133, Joffrey in 1134, when she actually almost died in childbirth, and then William in 1136. Sorry, the names didn't get any different. <laughs> um, so now Henry I had male heirs. Uh, fortunately, they're babies, and he's already over 60 years old. Oh, that's not going to do well for him. No. It's not a good time for 60-year-olds to hang around. It sounds like a Scottish situation. Doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, kind of. So Henry eventually, because he's older, he does eventually die. So in 1135, he falls ill. Surprise, he dies. <laughs> um, now his death, I don't mean to laugh at someone's death, but I just love the way it was described in this book that I read. So he fell ill possibly after eating some bad eels. Ew. Like lampreys. Oh. Yeah, and his doctor recommended that he not eat them, and he ate them anyway, and then he got sick. So it might not be the king that thing that killed him, but maybe it was. So Food poisoning. Yeah. Like. Of eels. <laughs> so on his deathbed, he knows he's dying, and he has a few nobles around him, and he's in Normandy at the time. And once again, he insists that the nobles abide their agreement and they allow his daughter to rule. And Matilda, though, is also in Normandy. She's in Anjou. She's not in England. And so she learns of her father's death, and sh what she does is she immediately rides north to secure the castles in Normandy that are supposed to be her and her husband's. But she's not heading to England because... Oh, rookie move. No. She's female. She discovers that she's pregnant. Oh. Yep. So she delays for the birth, and because of this accident of history, a rival for the throne seizes his chance. Whoops. Yeah. William, it's your fault. Yeah, I know, right? The third son. <laughs> um, so do you remember Stephen, Count of Mortain? Oh, yeah, yeah. The guy who got off the ship before everyone else died? I'm starting to think maybe he poked a hole in that ship. It definitely hit a rock, but maybe he was like, drink up, boys, drink up. Um, so he's also known as Stephen of, I want to say Blois or Blois? It's French. It's B-L-O-I-S. Blois? Blois, sure. Or Bloy. We're going with Bloy. <laughs> um, he's, so he's Matilda's cousin. And so as her cousin, he also has a tenuous claim to Henry's throne. His mother is a daughter of William the Conqueror. But his claim shouldn't overrule Matilda. She's got the paternal claim. And also, he had been the first of the nobles to swear allegiance to Matilda in 1127. Like, he actually fought for the chance to do so. He, fight, he fights his cousin, Matilda's half-brother, Robert, for the honor of being the first, first to swear loyalty to her. Now. That seems like yes. it's trying too hard. Yes. But also, remember we talked about all these Norman successions and how bloody and violent and unpredictable mm -hmm. they were. Stephen's paying attention. So Henry's own succession after William Rufus dies, Stephen follows the blueprint almost exactly. So William Rufus had died in a hunting accident, and Henry's there, and he kind of looks around and goes, okay, he's dead, and he turns tail and goes to get himself crowned king. 
that's pretty much exactly what Stephen does. So he applies this idea to himself, right, of female of male might over female rights. So Matilda's got the claim, but Stephen has the means to get his butt to England. So Matilda's pregnant and she's waiting out her pregnancy. Stephen's hustling his butt across the channel to Dover, and then he rides 80 miles to London as hard as he can. And there he's actually welcomed into the city. And then he turns around and he travels 70 miles southwest of Winchester, where his brother Henry is a bishop. So, so wait, 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 wait. So he swears an oath to Matilda. Mm-hmm. To her goes father. To her father. Who's now dead. Goes through the motions. She's got male heirs. Yes. And he's just saying, screw it. I'm doing this anyway. I want to be king. Because he's looking at the history and he's saying, all I have to do is be crowned. Yeah. And all I have to do is beat my rivals. And nobody's going to question And his rivals are in diapers. And his main adult rival is pregnant and in France. Mm. So this is important, though, because Stephen takes control of the royal treasury once he's in Winchester. And three weeks after Henry I dies, he has himself crowned king of England by the Archbishop of Canterbury. Now he's helped because his brother is a bishop. So he's clearly got the church on his side. But this is a problem because he might not be the king in right, but he's actually now the king anointed by God. So who's going to undo this? Whoopsie. Because God can't be wrong. Of course. So this is actually a coup on Stephen's part. So unfortunately, though, this is also planting the seeds of civil war because he did take the throne by force. So from the north, Matilda's uncle, the king of Scotland... This is King David of Scotland. Hears about this, and he overruns the border because he's trying to defend his niece's honor. But Stephen's army is massive and actually quickly defeats David and persuades him to back down. And in fact, this victory convinces other nobles to rally to his side. Oh, boy. Yeah, including this man I mentioned before, Robert of Gloucester, Matilda's half-brother and one of the most powerful men in England. So like I said, Henry I actually did right by a lot of his illegitimate children as well, and Robert of Gloucester is the prime example of this. He's a very wealthy man, he has a ton of land and power, and he's on Stephen's side. So unfortunately though, Normandy comes to Matilda's support. And like we said before, the thing about being King of England and Duke of Normandy is you have to control both. And by taking um, Henry's title, Stephen has essentially claimed his Norman titles as well. Yeah. So it takes him over a year, though, to cross to France. And by then, Normandy has just totally descended into anarchy. So Henry I actually spent over half his rule there, and there's a reason. It was insanely hard to control, and no one's been controlling it. Matilda's not really doing the work of governing. She's having a baby. Mm. And, you know, I don't mean that lightly. I mean that at the time, that was a life-or-death proposition. She was concerned with other things. Um, however, Stephen has his own problems because even before he reaches Matilda's castle, his army basically falls apart from the inside. Notably, just his alliance with Gloucester falls apart over suspicion because Robert thinks that, uh, Stephen's going to just have him killed. Hmm. So they're allies, but they're not trusting allies. So in June of 1138, Gloucester publicly renounces Stephen and declares for Matilda. So he's switching sides. Yes. There's a lot of that mm. in this story. No, but remember, we're, this is 1138, so we're three years at this point after Henry's death. Okay. And yes, Stephen is the king, but this is all kind of a... Like, England's not really being governed. Sounds like anarchy. Yeah, that's part of it, yeah. So um, without 
um, Gloucester's support, Matilda's cause is basically lost. But with his support, it's suddenly possible. And his lands in Normandy actually give her now a safe path to the coast. So in 1139, she finally crosses to England. Because before, she had no safe way to get there. Right, right. You know, she's having a baby and all that, but once she has the baby in 1136, she just is stuck because she can't safely cross to the coast. Um, So Stephen's occupied at the time trying to stamp out unrest in England and another invasion by Matilda's uncle, King David. And the strain is starting to kind of show. So Matilda takes an advantage of a chink in his armor. She crosses to a place called Arundel Castle, which is the home of her stepmother, the Dowager Queen, and Henry's widow. And they were actually really close. She had, when, when she was empress in the HRE, she actually intervened and saved her father at one point and I think returned his lands to him or something. So um, her stepmother's paying back old debts at okay. the time. And also, like, the, like I said, they're friends. They're probably the same age. Very close in age, actually, yes. Um, so Stephen immediately marches his army there, but the optics are really bad. So he's persuaded not to wage war on a powerful woman with royal blood and her friend the widow of the or her, her friend who is the widow of the emperor and the widow of the king who succeeded you it's just not a good look these helpless women you can't do that so he risks open rebellion if he's going to attack her so he decides not to do that so as the war goes on it's just basically this siege and besieged kind of war it's marked by well-defended castles like neither side is really gaining much advantage um, and years are passing the country's paying the price like local garrisons are plundered fields are burned by troops Matilda's gaining a victory though very slowly and then in February of 1141 her troops actually defeat Stephen's army and they take him prisoner so the throne is now right there for the taking it's in her reach but she has a problem. Remember, Stephen is anointed by God. Yeah. So Matilda needs to get the church on her side. She and start her own church. Right? Well, she's she's not quite playing by the Henry VIII playbook. And also, she needs the people to recognize her as well. You can rule in name, but if the people aren't behind you, you're going to have a problem. So she can't undo Stephen's coronation, but she can actually do one better. She can supersede his coronation with her claim. So she actually gets Stephen's brother, Bishop Henry on her side because he hasn't really quite achieved the power that he thought he would do by helping Stephen. And so she promises him first place among her advisors and then she seems in contention. She seems like she's perfectly poised. They call her England's lady in recognition of her position and all that's left to do is be anointed as queen in her own right. But then the men confronted with the reality of a woman in power actually don't like the reality of it they like they're okay with the idea like in theory sure you can do this but they don't like being confronted with an actual woman who has power because once she begins to act like a person in power as a queen instead of being meek and modest the nobles start accusing her of arrogance like kings can be authoritative and they can be commanding but a woman acting this way is domineering I mean, we hear this now all the time. Well, that sounds familiar. Doesn't it? So she's acting like a female king and failing to show deference to the, quote, chief men of the whole kingdom. But she's supposed to be the chief person of the whole kingdom. Like, she, they're complaining because she won't rise when they enter a room. Hm. Yeah. So Matilda also has a problem with Bishop Henry, though, who is supposed to be her main supporter now. He wants too much power over royal policy in exchange for his support. And also the Londoners 
they're really hostile to a woman in power, and it's still in favor of Stephen's claim and his promises of royal favor. And we talked about that last time. You need you need the Londoners, or the time before, you need the Londoners on your side. Right. And so because of this, there are reports that she demands money from the people of London, and so the people rise up, and she's actually driven from her pre-coronation feast and out of the city. Oh, wow. Um, Bishop Henry, this great guy, he actually switches back to backing his brother. And then later, Gloucester, her brother robber, is actually captured in battle, forcing Matilda to exchange him for the imprisoned Stephen. So everyone's back in this stalemate. Um, In September, though, of 1142, Matilda's at Oxford, and Stephen's forces besiege the castle. And she holds out until just before Christmas, and then she makes this last daring escape when she and only three of her trusted soldiers leave the castle by a side gate in white cloaks to camouflage them against the snow. They walk across the frozen river, and then they walk seven miles in the snow to horses to carry them away, and nobody's the wiser. And actually, this kind of turned the tide of some public opinion by this miracle, this Christmas miracle. Some people thought perhaps she had God on her side. But it's not enough at this point. So she's free, but the stalemate continues. So she knows now that she's never going to fit the idea of what a king should be. But she does have one last asset, and that's her son, Henry. Now, this war has been going on for almost like 10 years at this point. So she now decides that she's going to win the crown for him because he's nine years old. So he's not a baby anymore. Theoretically, nine years old, you can quote-unquote rule with advisors. Sure. So he's growing up in France, and now it's time for him to sort of join the fight, if only in name, but eventually, perhaps, in war as well. So like I said, the war has devolved into a stalemate, and Matilda controls much of the southwest, and Stephen's got the southeast and the midlands, and the local barons are in control of everything else. Anarchy. Yep. So in 1148, Matilda returns to Normandy. So there, at least, her victory is pretty decisive. Stephen's not going to be Duke of Normandy. In 1144, Joffrey, her husband, had actually been formally invested as Duke of Normandy. So he's getting a good deal Mm. in all of this. This is what he wanted all along. Yeah. Yeah. And Stephen no longer has a single Norman stronghold to his name. England's a different story, but the foundation of his power is at risk. Now he's just got England, and England... Remember, it's kind of still this unknown quantity. So they've basically divided his kingdom in half. Exactly. Also, Stephen at this point is over 50. And because of the way he claimed the throne, the succession's not certain. He has sons. I was going to ask, does he have kids? He has two sons. But he fails to convince the church to crown his son as his successor while he's alive, which is something that the French do. And then Matilda's better relationship with the church that she's actually been cultivating in the background this whole time, she learned some lessons from her husband's failure with the Pope. Um, it actually leads to this idea that the succession is going to actually pass to her son, Henry, Henry the first grandson, instead of Stephen's sons. Now keep in mind, this is what Henry wanted all along. Yeah. So they've taken 20 years of civil war to get to the exact same place they could have started from. Yeah. So in 1150, Henry, her son, is named Duke of Normandy, and his father's still alive at the time, but they're passing him the title. And now the young duke is actually posing an actual threat to Stephen in a way that his mother never could because he's a man Mm -hmm. and he can muster an army and he can fight. And Stephen is unlikely to rally his nobles to his cause at this point. The people of England are tired of war. They feel abandoned by God. Everyone's just really tired of this whole thing. So Henry lands on the English coast in January of 1153 and Stephen's forced into a compromise. Um, Later that year, in fact, his eldest son Eustace suddenly dies 
And so the only person left that he could theoretically pass the claim to is his younger son, but no one's going for this. So Stephen's going to remain king and Henry's going to be recognized as his successor. So in the end, Matilda won in a way, but at the cost of her own political ambition. So she wasn't even mentioned by name in the Treaty of Wallingford that ended the war, but she, she gets the throne passed to her family. But is that what she ultimately... I mean, that was her dad's plan. That so was her that dad's plan. that maybe what it's she not, just wanted? It's not really... She wanted to rule for herself, mm-hmm. but I think she came to realize that was never going to happen. Right. So the next best thing is that her son is going to rule. But Stephen doesn't get to create his own dynasty. Right. Which is... It's sort of hollow victory, but it's a victory. So in October of 1154, Stephen dies. And two months later, almost exactly 19 years after Henry I dies, Henry II is crowned king. So his grandfather gets what he wants all along. Took a lot of war and bloodshed to get there. Matilda remains in Normandy, where she acts as a royal counsel and deputy to her son. Because her son at least recognizes everything that she did for him. And she had sacrificed her own claim to ensure that the dynasty continued. And in fact, Henry, in respect for her, always called himself Henry Fitz Empress. Oh. Yep. So recognizing what she had done. And his siblings actually did the same. Because she was still calling herself Empress Matilda at this point. (laughs) Um, so she dies in September of 1167, and she's 65, and she's still living in Normandy. So her pragmatism has makes her, made her son a king, but then she's created this question. Like, if a woman is seeking this much power, is she always going to face such outrage in the name of a queen? And we've seen the answer to that is no, but there's still 400 years to get to that mm-hmm. point. So it starts with her, but it only ends with male, when male power can be assured at this point. So that's it. And I want to note that Henry II was the first Angevin king, which means that he was a king who was also the Count of Anjou. Okay. And that was, the other two would be Richard and John. So this, we're starting to get into this where they really are ruling England and France. Yes. Interesting. So technically, like, William I and his son and granddaughter grant not granddaughter <laughs> William the first and his son were doing that as well but um we will talk later about why the Angevin kings are more French I think is because they ruled more of France you're right and that will come through Henry the second's wife Eleanor right. of Aquitaine yes and we'll talk about her she's a character yeah so that's kind of interesting so I always, I've heard of the anarchy, but I didn't really know the details. And it's kind of interesting that they ended up in the place where they were all supposed to in the first place. But she never got to prove what she could do. I also think it's kind of interesting that she kept calling herself an empress when presumably there was another Holy Roman Emperor who took over after her husband died. I suppose she was still a dowager empress. She just couldn't rule in anyone's name and they didn't really want her around. Hmm. I wonder if she did get the throne, if she would have gone um, Empress Matilda, Queen of England, or if she would have traded down to Queen. Well, she took Lady of England, and she was willing to accept that. I really think that it's interesting. I think you have to talk about her history as Empress when you talk about her, because unlike many women of her time, she had actually seen what it meant to rule in her own right because of the way her husband entrusted her with power. And yes, she was ruling in his name, and I think that also informs her decision down the line to say, okay, well, I'm not going to rule, but I can have my son rule in my name because she's seen that she can be equally as effective in that way as well. And she essentially ruled Normandy for him. Yeah, it sounds like he trusted her to to rule. Right. 
I just think it's all very interesting how her extraordinary biography really leads to these interesting choices. But England isn't quite ready for what she wants. Well, it also just sounds like her father didn't do her any favors. Cause, so he shipped her off to Normandy, married her to a count. He could have forced her to marry a prince or a king, but he marries her to a... I guess I'm, I'm looking at it as he marries her to someone who can't possibly threaten him. He does that, but also remember... Joffrey of Anjou is strategic because I didn't really get into this, but there are threats from another rival claimant from Flanders. Okay. So he's marrying her off to the Count of Anjou to shore up the southern Norman borders against this invasion from the mainland. But then he didn't give them any castles that where they could base no, out of. No, he definitely did not invest in that relationship. Which means he never really intended for her to rule. No, she was a baby maker. Oh, what a lovely... Yeah. I mean, not to put it that way, yeah. but essentially that's what her role was. And she did it very well. She had three healthy sons, but it wasn't enough. Not in time. Well, 400 years later, we got a queen. I think there's a lesson here. I think if you just let women rule, there's less war. Well. I mean, it's not like she didn't fight. I'm just saying, yeah. had they just let her rule in her infant son's name from the beginning, then why not? But Stephen had ambition as well. Definitely. I, I'm telling you, I think he was poking holes in that boat. <laughs> but I think it's interesting because Stephen was just following the rules, right? I mean, William yeah. I and Henry both grabbed their crowns in this exact same way. So people thought, well, that's how you do that. That's the route to success of I want to be king and that's how I become king. He really had no reason to think he would fail. And Matilda just didn't roll over and give claim. up. He had a claim. He had a better claim in that he was male. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. In but also, mind. I think he thought that she would agree with that and mm -hmm. just roll over. Hmm. And she didn't. Very interesting. Yeah, I think she's pretty cool. Plus, she's grandma to some pretty cool kings. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Yep. All right. Well, next time, I think we're going to head all the way back into a more modern era. And we're going to talk about... Queen Victoria. Oh, we're getting to her next. Yes, but we're not going to cover her in the same way. We're going to talk about a very specific aspect of her reign, but I won't spoil it. Oh. Yeah. And I think on a programming note, we are going to take at least a week because it's Christmas. Yeah. It's so coming. That episode will actually probably be airing in January. Yes, the, probably the first week of January. Yeah. Um, because there aren't that many days left in December. No, this one will be airing the week before the yes. holiday and then... Right, we'll take a break next week for Christmas, yes. and then for that week, and then we'll air the first week of January. Sounds good. We'll come back for Victoria. And I also wanted to make a note, if anybody is listening to this, and perhaps you've been listening to Google Play and you're finding that it doesn't work, um, Google has actually changed their podcast app. They've developed their own app called Google Podcasts. And so if you go into that app, we should have all of our episodes listed up there, um, but I don't believe they're updating onto Google Play anymore. So we have heard from a few people that they've been having issues. So if that's you and you're listening to this through the website or you found another way to listen to it, give that a go. Also, we just wanted to point out if you ever have issues listening, you can listen directly through the website, which is monarchcast.com. Um, but please email us or you can reach out on Instagram we don't really use Twitter. We have it, though. We have it, but we don't 
really, Sometimes I check yeah. <laughs> we, we prefer Instagram or email, so um, reach out to us that way. And also rate us on iTunes yeah. and Google Podcasts or wherever you're listening to your um, your iTunes, wherever yeah. you're listening to your podcasts, because it really is nice to see the comments, and we love it. And uh, we hope you're enjoying this current series. Yeah. Happy holidays and happy new year. Yeah, happy new year. We'll be back for that. All right.